No one told me is for all those times you wish someone just a little ahead of you would tell you what they did in the same situation, in the same season of life. On this podcast, experience is worth a thousand words, or at least 30 minutes worth. Welcome to No One Told Me. Growing up, I generally wasn't an anxious person. I mean, I worried about who was going to ask me to prom and, you know, if my turtleneck gave me a double chin, but my life was never really altered by any of it. Until my mid-20s. Until my life started changing in big ways. Whether it was avoiding large groups of people because I didn't want them to really sense something was wrong or the times I would be so overcome with worry, it was hard to fall asleep at night. It was varying degrees of just simply feeling overwhelmed with life. I'd be willing to bet many of you have felt the same thing, maybe on different levels, probably about different things. My friend Connie is a licensed marriage and family therapist who has seen and experienced anxiety in so many different seasons of life. I hope you find some new insight, and no one told me how controlling anxiety can be. All right, friends, we are here today with my friend Connie, who is, and tell me if I get this wrong, a licensed marriage and family therapist, counselor, yes. therapist, counselor, Both? therapist, oh, therapist. Okay. Yeah. Is it the same thing? I mean, for the licensure designation, there's a couple of different designations. There's a licensed professional counselor. You've got a licensed clinical social worker oh, okay. and a licensed marriage and family therapist. Oh gosh, lots of options. Yeah. Okay. So some know, different options. Already learning things from you, Connie. We've just started. <laughs> So this is one of those topics that comes around, especially with the holidays and the busyness and the chaos that is the Christmas season is this topic of anxiety. But the thing is, I don't think it's just dictated by age. Like, I don't think you get into it as you get older or when you have kids. I think it starts at a young age. And I think we're going to get an opportunity to talk about that here in a little bit. Absolutely. Either way, this was a topic I felt like we absolutely had to jump into, and that's just anxiety and the overwhelming feeling that can come at any time. You don't expect it. You don't know what's going to happen and how you walk through that feeling, not even just that feeling, but a life that is dictated by it sometimes. So we will jump into that topic today on No One Told Me. But first, what I would love to do is, Connie, will you just tell us day to day what your life looks like right now and kind of some of your favorite things? Absolutely. So day to day is a little bit fun for me to kind of talk about because I kind of have my hand in a bunch of different stuff right now. You are crazy busy. Just scheduling this alone took us about a month. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I felt bad because I thought, man, I I hope I'm not the only one that my schedule is like this. But for sure, I have um, several things going on. I am currently in private practice. um, And like Callie said, we're going to be talking about one of my probably favorite subjects to talk about is anxiety. Um, So I'm in private practice. I also do some um, consulting work. And I just recently became an approved supervisor. And you have a million other things on top of that. You just opened a your own practice recently, right? Yeah. Has been within the past year or two um, years? So I started in December of 2016. So okay. we're coming up on two years. Yeah. So um, how much anxiety did you have opening up your own practice? <laughs> Okay, so I delayed opening my own practice for quite some time. And for lots of different reasons, I think um, my own personal reasons of just not really feeling that I was capable of doing that. 
And then, of course, there's that financial piece and just being willing to kind of just take a leap of faith, if you will, and just kind of do it, even though if you're not sure if you're going to be able to do it successfully mm-hmm. and being willing to fail at some things and to make some mistakes on that. Totally mm-hmm. fine. Um, not letting but, fear keep you from doing it. Absolutely. But, but jumping in anyway. Absolutely. You said something to me when we were preparing for this podcast specifically, that you are a huge believer in borrowing courage. Yeah, borrowing belief. Belief, yeah, yes. Absolutely. So I, I'm a huge believer in that. And what I did when I was trying to open my practice was I looked at different people who were doing it successfully and their belief in themselves. Mm-hmm. And so what I tried to do is kind of borrow that belief for just a short period of time while I was making a decision mm-hmm. to do it myself. And I hope that I can provide that belief for other people kind of along down the road and, and they can borrow that belief for me and just being able to do anything, not necessarily start a practice, but just believe in themselves that they can and do something. Mm-hmm. And even doing it scared. I mean, Absolutely. you added that on too, is that the fear is not just going to go away. Like it's not going to disappear, but it can be buried and it can be put on the back burner. It doesn't have to be the front runner in everything that you do. Absolutely. And I, I definitely did a lot of things scared when I started out. I wanted to be able to start my practice and to feel confident that the services that I was providing and the way that I was interacting with my clients with ethical as well as being financially sound and and starting a business and being financially guided to do the right thing for Mm -hmm. the client and for myself as well. And you did it. And look at you now. You're on a podcast now. I know. It's so crazy. Uh, You're also huge into baking. Oh my goodness. Yes. So I definitely have a commitment every single week that I have a group of ladies that I invest in and um, I cook dinner for them every single week. So I'm a big baker, cooker, all that kind of stuff. Um, I prefer the salty over the sweet. Which blows my mind. I don't even know you. <laughs> telling me you like salty. I don't know how we're friends. I know. I know. But I absolutely love the salty. I will do the sweet every now and then, but I have to admit, I have a pan of brownies on my counter right now with homemade chocolate icing that I have not touched. And you just walk by them? Like they're oh, yeah. not even there. Oh, yeah. Something's wrong. You're going to need counseling for that. <laughs> so let's jump into this topic. I know you see a lot of it in your practice. You know, we've spoken about how it is so prevalent and a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people think maybe they're the only one who have these kind of feelings. So in your experience, how has it been described to you? This anxiousness, this overwhelming feeling, what are some of the best describers you've heard? Okay, so just frame of reference. This is reference and information from five-year-olds all the way up to seven. 75 year olds. That's incredible. So this is really kind of a huge, huge area of just kind of exploration of people and how they have experienced anxiety. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say that from my experience, clients for me, and even individuals, friends, family Mm -hmm. members, people that I go to church with, or people that I'm in a small group with, or people that I just interact with daily, have described anxiety as like tightness in your chest, butterflies in your stomach, tension in your neck and your shoulders difficulty breathing, Mm -hmm. just an overwhelming sense of not being able to move forward with whatever task is happening for them. Almost paralyzed where you are. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How many people would you say suffer from anxiety? I mean, I know there's tons of studies up there, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of them, but just a a number of how prevalent it is in, in our country. I don't have the numbers 
briefly from my my experience, but I would say on an average week, I see probably 75% of people who have some form of anxiety. Mm-hmm. It may be coupled with some other things going on, but research shows us 18% of Americans, which is 40 million people. That's insane. Because when you hear 18%, that. you're like, oh, that's not bad. But then you hear 40 million people. And that's just the people that have reported it. Mm-hmm. That's maybe not the people that are self-aware of it, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later. But just being aware that that's what's happening, Mm -hmm. I think those numbers would be a whole lot higher Mm -hmm. in relation to really what's going on. Mm -hmm. For me, I did not struggle with anxiety through most of my life. Even, I mean, in college, I had the situational anxiety that we'll talk about of just, I have a test and am I, do I know enough? Am I going to do well? That kind of stuff. But it wasn't an everyday part of my life until I had kids. Mm, And I, it's like a switch was flipped And a big part of it was probably hormonal, a little bit of um, that postpartum depression kind of deal. But for me, it wasn't a postpartum depression. It was postpartum anxiety. It wasn't sadness as much as it was just overwhelming. How am I going to do this? What does this look like for me? And I didn't know it was that until I started talking to people about it. Because for a long time, I didn't say anything about it because I thought it was well, maybe I'm not meant to be a mother. I'm not a great mom. I shouldn't be doing this in the first place. But then I started talking to people and other people were feeling it and they hadn't talked to anyone about it either. And so that is what amazed me is the more I talked to people, the more I learned that it plays a part in so many other people's lives, but they don't tell anybody about it. Yeah, it's not something that's talked about for sure. And and I will say... It's even difficult sometimes for individuals that maybe are seeking out somebody to talk to, to talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to describe. It's hard to know what they want to do about it or how, how it could be any different. Mm-hmm. And that it's just, maybe it's just supposed to be there all the yeah, time. Yeah, and you don't want to seem dramatic. You don't want to seem like you're like this dramatic person who makes a big deal out of small things, but you're kind, you're, you kind of are feeling a little dramatic. You're this definitely feeling deal. something's different. Exactly. Absolutely. Something's a little off. So yeah. are there different levels of anxiety? Absolutely. I kind of try to think about anxiety and kind of like looking at like situational anxiety versus maybe long term anxiety, like maybe you started struggling with something and you never really talked about it Mm -hmm. with anybody you mentioned earlier, you didn't think you needed to talk to anybody, Mm -hmm. you just thought it was something that was happening for you and only you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is common. But there are definitely different levels of anxiety. And, And sometimes we don't think about it as anxiety, we think about it as maybe nervousness or worry. But when it is something that is kind of mild, that's when you really want to start to kind of look at okay, hey, maybe I need to kind of explore this a Mm -hmm. little bit. So it can be very mild. It can be a little bit moderate where it's impacting maybe more than one part of your life. I know you mentioned around your kids, but did it also impact maybe your marriage or maybe your relationships with people at work? Mm -hmm. And then there's that severe kind where it is impacting almost every facet of your life. And I mean, from the details of um, just recently had a conversation with somebody about having anxiety about which light to leave on when they leave their house. They were unsure about, should I leave this one on or should I leave this one on and what would happen and, and how much energy is going to be saved and how much energy is going to be used and, and, and do I need to switch them up? Is somebody going to be outside my house looking to see that I've changed which light or is it always the same light? Yeah. And, and we don't think about those kinds of things necessarily, but, but that's, that's a pretty extreme and that's just one example that yeah. that person gave me over the course of the conversation around the level of anxiety that, mm-hmm. that he 
was currently experiencing. And so I think there are some pretty significant cases where there's really an inability to cope. This individual also had called into work for like three or four days, just so much anxiety Mm -hmm. about not being able to complete the job task. Mm -hmm. I had a good friend of mine who honestly recently just told me this, maybe last week, the week before, after she had her second child, it was more that postpartum stuff. But she said, I couldn't leave the house. Like I didn't want to get the kids in the car because I was afraid of what would happen while we were in the car going somewhere. She said, my anxiety would go through the roof that I didn't want us to go anywhere because I was afraid something would happen if we did. And I very much felt that my first with my first child of something's going to go wrong. It's going to be my fault. And so I better just not do anything. I think there's definitely those levels you describe are so real. So let's say you do have that mild, that basic, mm-hmm. you're just, just some nervousness. You said you probably need to take some steps to explore it. What does that look like? You know, when you're, when you're looking at it, it's becoming more self-aware of like, how often is that happening mm-hmm. for you? Is it happening on a weekly basis? Is it happening on a bi-weekly basis? Is it just happening? Like maybe when you're going only to the doctor, mm-hmm. okay? And, yeah. and let's just say healthy amount of anxiety or worry, some thoughts that may happen that for you. Just about that number on the scale. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Or if you're worried about maybe, you know, just a follow-up appointment. I know several people, if they've struggled with a particular illness, specifically like with cancer and things Mm -hmm. like that, you know, a lot of people have follow-up appointments for three years down the road. And that day that that comes, Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty pretty high Mm -hmm. on the anxiety list that day. But if it's happening, maybe just periodically, like maybe once a month or something, um, just kind of looking for patterns. And if it is something, then maybe scheduling an opportunity for you to kind of process it with a friend or something, Mm -hmm. or just be self-aware, or maybe do some things beforehand before you know, you can kind of anticipate it. Yeah. Now, also, there's opportunities for you to not be able to anticipate it because you haven't quite figured out what it is that's causing it. I think for me, I kind of look at it as, you know, you need to kind of identify how many times it's happening. Mm -hmm. And then is it causing you to kind of pull away from things? Is it causing you to remove yourself from groups? Is it causing you to remove yourself from activities? Is it causing you to not want to go with family? Mm -hmm. Is it causing you to, like you said, not get in the car and take your kids somewhere Mm -hmm. because you're afraid something's going to happen? Mm -hmm. At that point, there's an opportunity for you to enlist maybe some community-based outpatient services that are in the community. They're Mm -hmm. here for you. That's Mm -hmm. that's what they're there for. Just like you go get your taxes done or you take your dry cleaning. It's a service. It's it's available. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so I definitely feel like that it's something that comes with a stigma. I'm just going to put it out there. That's what I was about to ask is there's a lot of people who think if I talk to a counselor, something's seriously wrong with me. Like there are, I have a serious issue and I can't tell anyone that I'm talking to a counselor because they're going to think something's wrong. Absolutely. And and I get that pretty often mm-hmm. from individuals that come into my practice and they'll say, well, I, I don't know exactly how this process works. I let my clients interview me when they come in. They, mm-hmm. they get the opportunity to kind of see what kind of approach I have. And I certainly welcome the opportunity for them to tell me that this is not a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. You can interview your counselor, try mm-hmm. to therapist, identify what you feel like would be best and who for you, you connect with. Yeah, who him. you connect with. Absolutely. Absolutely. So doing that, giving yourself the opportunity to have that that service for you, just because you go to counseling doesn't mean you have to go forever. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. Yes. You know, it can be an opportunity. I do a lot of marriage counseling. And so one of the things I love to do is, is to talk about you know, do you take care of your marriage like you take care of your teeth? If you're going through a crisis, obviously you might want to bump up your marriage counseling a little bit if you're having some kind of things going on. But 
you should check in a couple times a year. How are things going? Mm-hmm. If they're going great, great. But if they maybe they need a little tweaking, then it's okay. Sometimes it's not because a relationship or you or anything in your life is unhealthy. Sometimes it's just like a checkup at the doctor. It's just to make sure everything's healthy and to make sure you're moving exactly what you said. And make sure it's still like moving forward. Things get a little rusty as time goes on and we get complacent with things mm-hmm. um, and we get kind of comfortable mm-hmm. and then we don't really do what we need to do in relationships. That yeah. happens. There's a lot of leadership podcasts, and a lot of leadership articles who talk about they specifically chose to go to counseling, not because something was wrong. It was to keep something from going wrong. It was to, yeah. it was like an emotional check in with themselves and with their family or spouse or whatever to make sure, hey, I'm doing okay. Like we're, we're doing all right and we're going to keep going. That kind yeah. of deal. So definitely prevention for me is a huge thing. I love working with individuals who are kind of proactive. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can't be. You know, life circumstances happen. And, and especially with anxiety, we have different life circumstances that happen. You have a death in your family, a birth of a child. You mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. I love that. Change in job mm-hmm. can create just anxiety. It's an exciting mm-hmm. time maybe yeah. for you or maybe it's not. Maybe you it look was, at college students who are trying to Absolutely. figure out, okay, one, they've got to try to figure out what their major is, what they're going to do with their life. And two, they feel all this pressure of, okay, graduation's coming. What's my job? What am I going to do? And there's so much pressure on this one moment. Mm. And it's like, hey, you don't have to get it right immediately. There's anxiety over a one decision when really it's going to be a lot of decisions that get you to where you need to be. I didn't even recognize for myself any kind of like anxiousness or anything like that, but I changed my major four times mm-hmm. when I was an undergrad. And I think about... How long were you an undergrad? Just four and a half years. Okay. I was going to say, there's no way you did it four years if you changed four times. Just four and a half. <laughs> Just four and a half. But I changed it a bunch One of different five. times. That's what, I did. That's what I'm hearing I did. right now is wasn't five. <laughs> When is a level of anxiety normal and when do you need to ask someone for help? You know, we were talking about the counseling and and not being afraid of that. But how do you know when you're at a point where it's time to ask somebody? You know, Kelly, I think one of the things that happens is that we have to have some self-awareness around when it is impacting us to the point where we can't continue with normal day-to-day activities. So one of the big key factors in anxiety is sleep. Mm-hmm. And being really, really tired and not being able to maintain in our regular routine of activities. You know, if you have a regular routine and you're not able to kind of keep up with your regular routine and you haven't been to the doctor and been sick and those kinds of things, or you haven't had, um, you know, maybe a, a change in life circumstance, but, you know, things were cruising kind of along there and then it something just dropped off and you weren't able to kind of keep that normal routine. I think that's a big indicator when you you're not sleeping at night and you're not able to to rest well, mm-hmm. if your eating habits are significantly changing, maybe you're not as hungry as you had previously been and eating three meals a day, maybe you're filling up maybe on um, coffee and spending mm-hmm. more time drinking caffeinated drinks and things like that to kind of keep you going throughout mm-hmm. the day. It might be a good idea just to check in with somebody, yeah. give them a, the opportunity to kind of assess kind of what's going on. And most clinicians have a really good sense of kind of an overall assessment on kind of what's going on life-wise so that they can kind of ask some you know, questions about maybe maybe changes that you hadn't thought about. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've had several changes and you didn't recognize those. But I think just your own awareness of, you know, self-evaluation, look back over the last week, how many nights have you slept well? What are your eating habits? Are you able to continue 
normal life things mm-hmm. like going to work, coming home, going to the gym, cooking dinner? Mm-hmm. Are you avoiding some of those things because they create more worry for you, mm-hmm. more anxiety mm-hmm. for you? I didn't know the tiredness part. You know, I almost thought it was more like a manicness of trying to distract yourself from. That's me as I'm trying to distract. But there is an exhaustion that links with that that I never even thought about. So that's super interesting to me. But what usually will set off this anxiety? I mean, are there common triggers? Are there a common way it sprouts up in most people's lives? And when do people most commonly struggle with it? So I think there's lots of different triggers that can happen for individuals. I know just recently I had a conversation with somebody actually yesterday about interaction that they had had with somebody and it was really triggering them to be kind of sad and to be really, really worried. And what they didn't recognize was that they had had a similar experience. They were talking about a sickness within this person and they had had an experience. They had had three significant deaths in their family in the last Mm. two months. Well, of course, they immediately became anxious in in just talking to me about it. And and they're the ones that brought it up. It wasn't me that brought it up. Um, And it wasn't in a counseling session. Mm. It was a casual conversation. And immediately, I recognized that they were not okay. And so I think those kinds of things can happen, especially around the holidays. And I know you mentioned this at the beginning. I'm so glad that you're talking about it because it is something that, you know, we get together with people that we don't normally get together with. There's more pressure to go to all the holiday parties and to participate in the way that your in-laws want to do Christmas and your your immediate family wants to do Christmas. And, and the and gift buying The alone. gift buying alone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. The gift buying. And then like just the expectation that you're supposed to be happy the whole entire time. Mm-hmm. Even though Christmas time may bring about for some people just a sense of, um, of sadness or overwhelmingness for everything to be perfect. Mm-hmm. How many of these Instagram posts have you seen where people's Christmas decorations look like they mm-hmm. came out of Magnolia or Southern Living or whatever? Yes. My bow is crooked on my tree. It drives me nuts. But, you know, I just leave it that way. It's not worth my effort. You know, it's just not. And it seems silly almost, but it's still in social media it almost makes it worse Because the comparison sneaks in and then there's an anxiety of you're not meeting some unforeseen expectation that you didn't even know you need to be meeting. Well, some of it is a self-imposed expectation Mm -hmm. too. And we don't even recognize that we have that within us sometimes to set Mm -hmm. our own expectations. And some of it is we create some of that anxiety ourselves and sometimes just giving ourselves permission to say it doesn't have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, I don't have to bake every single thing for the Christmas dinner and I can definitely delegate and I can ask people to help. Someone said to me just the other day, every Christmas doesn't have to be magical. Every time it rolls around, it doesn't have to be Disneyland. It's okay because you're still making memories. I mean, you're still making memories with your family and that's good. And sometimes starting a new tradition can be okay. Yeah. You know, like just... not putting ornaments on your Christmas tree. I want to start that tradition because <laughs> I hate placing those things. <laughs> But for someone in your life who is experiencing anxiety, and maybe they've talked to you about it several times, what can you do for them? Most often when I'm talking to individuals about anxiety, whether it be a client or just someone, just a friend, is the opportunity to be able to kind of just express and for somebody just to listen. Oftentimes we want to make suggestions about how to make things better. And that's okay. What I would encourage people to do is ask permission before you do that. It may not be a good time for a suggestion and they may have already heard all the suggestions that they care to hear for the rest of the week. And so the opportunity for you to listen for five or 10 minutes may be exactly what they need. And again, like validating kind of where they are. It doesn't mean you agree with them. They may have some 
horrible story about an in-law or that kind of thing, and that's what's causing them anxiety. And maybe you don't agree with the fact that they're that escalated about it, but it doesn't mean that their feelings aren't valid and, and that you can't support the fact that they're actually feeling that way. Mm. So again, asking permission, hey, can I give you a suggestion? Or is this an opportunity that you just want me to listen? Being really intentional in those two respects, I think, and makes I a think, huge difference. I think even asking that shows that you care. Like saying, I want to be here for you. Tell me how I can best be here for you. Because I obviously am a talker. And so I immediately want to be like, oh, I'll solve this with this, this, and this. Try these three things. And they're like, either I've already tried that or I don't, I'm not at a point where I'm ready to try anything. And then I'm kind of like, I probably should have held my opinions back a little bit. And what does it do for the other person? It gives Mm -hmm. you permission to really fully listen. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to think about, oh my goodness, when they stop talking, what am I going to say? Gosh, that's so true. That is so true. Because you're already trying to think of the solutions and then that's only half your brain listening to what they're actually saying anymore. That's a yeah, valid point. I, I pulled some numbers this week, and this was for something totally unrelated, but the numbers are sticking out to me. So we were talking about communication and just how do you communicate with people that maybe in your family that struggle with it, or maybe even your spouse that struggles with it and not really knowing. But 7% of our communication is content. Seven percent. Mm. And so then like 38% is tone of voice. Mm-hmm. I believe that. And then... is body language. Isn't that insane? See, that's a little different. When I was in school, and this, I'm not going to tell you how long ago it was, but when I was in college, my major was communications, and we did talk about how the majority, when people are listening to you, it's not so much that they're listening to your words, they're watching your face, they're listening to a tone, and they're watching your body movements. And that's what they're taking away, more so the nonverbal than the actual verbal communication, which... I think we forget that. I mean, we as when we're the talkers, we forget that they're not so much maybe listening to our words as much as they're watching how we're saying what we're saying. Absolutely. Hands down, I think that body language says so much about whether we're paying attention and whether we're really intentional about, hey, this makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. This looks like it's something that is so difficult for you. And man, I hate that for you. Mm-hmm. I-, I hate that that's happening. Yeah. A lot of times they just want empathy. Like they just want to know that you feel it too, that you will shoulder some of that for them. And like you said, it's not that you're agreeing. You're not saying, hey, everything you're doing is right, saying is right. But it's, hey, I'll carry some of it for you. I will, I'll partner with you in this. And one thing I will say about that, Kelly, I think if it's happening really, really often where you're having those conversations like over and over, I know we mentioned earlier, like how do you know when it's a really good time? I think there's a really sensitive way to be able, if if you are consistently having a conversation with a friend, a family member, a spouse, a child about increased anxiety or increased worry, nervousness that's impacting them. I think part of what we need to be able to do as society is be able to say, hey, you know, I've noticed that we've been having multiple conversations like this. And so I'm just wondering if maybe I'm not the best person because sometimes that can be extremely overwhelming for that person. And and that person becomes anxious because the other person that's talking to you is anxious. Mm -hmm. And so just being aware of your own ability to take some of that on Mm -hmm. and recognizing that you don't have to take all that on. That's not your responsibility. Um, You can be that encouragement and support sure, and you can be someone they lean on. But that would be my next question now that you say that is when do you become someone who's almost like allowing it in their life? They know they can come to you every time and like just spill it all. And it's almost exhausting. And you're like, I love you so much, but I can't do this every day. I can't, you know, I mean, at what point do you say, 
hey, maybe there's another step we can take here. Yeah. And I think you have to be aware, self-aware of what it's doing to you. You are avoiding that conversation. If you look at your cell phone and you're like, oh man, Callie's calling me again. Mm. I'm not going to hit decline, but I'm just going to let it go to voicemail. Mm. And that becomes a repeated pattern for you. Then I think that there needs to be an opportunity for you to be able to sit down and, and have a very genuine, empathetic conversation with them and maybe provide them ask permission, of course, but maybe provide them with some resources that maybe Mm -hmm. have been helpful or some that you're aware of. And maybe you do a little bit of research and say, hey, you know, I'm just not in a place where I can provide Mm -hmm. that for you right now. But I certainly hear that it's it's a problem or it's a challenge for you. And and so certainly I want to be able to help you kind of get you to a place where or get you to somebody that can help you. Because that's my heart is very much, I still love you and care about you. And this is not me saying, don't tell me anything. This is me saying, I want you to know how to move through this, to move forward and not feel stuck because that hurts my heart more than anything else to see that in someone's life. And maybe I'm not the person that can do that for you the best. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe I don't know exactly what to suggest to you and I don't know exactly what to do in this situation, Mm -hmm. but I know that there are people out there that do Mm -hmm. and we can get you hooked up with the right person. So I know there's a lot of medication out there for anxiety. I mean, I know several people who have had to lean on it in certain seasons of life, but when do you know it's time to consider that? It's a tough question. And um, I I don't have all the right answers. I'm obviously not a medication provider, but it's a question I get asked quite a bit about like, where's the line? And it's gray. Okay. It's not black and white. It's gray. But I certainly think it helps to have individuals who are trained to be able to walk through that assessment process with you or just give you some information about it. I always tell people, if you're curious about medication, certainly go talk to somebody Mm -hmm. about that. Like get the information. Mm -hmm. You don't want to make a decision. You wouldn't make a decision to buy a new car if you didn't have the information about it. For some people, it's miles per gallon. Some people, it's the kind of gas that you have to put in there. For some people, it's how many seats are in there. If you Mm -hmm. got five kids, you can't buy a two-seater. You know, so get the information that you need to be able to make the decision. I also am a huge supporter of doing dual role there as far as like medication and learning some coping skills and things like that. Most individuals don't necessarily need anxiety medication for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. There are some people out there that definitely do. What I like to see and and what I aspire for is for individuals to be able to maybe take that medication for a, a small amount of time if it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not. Yeah. But um, to take it for a small amount of time. And in the midst of that, medication should be used as a tool mm-hmm. along with some other avenues like mm-hmm. counseling or a community support group or a mentoring or something like that Mm -hmm. to be able to help you in the process. For those of us who are married or for those of us who have significant others or even, I mean, just people who you're close to in your life, I know a lot of times there's pressure to look like you have it all together. You know, like I'm living my life and I'm doing great and everything's fine and I can do all of this and I can juggle it all. And and it's almost like you can't figure out how to talk about it. You can't figure out how to even start the conversation for those spouses, significant others, or just close friends and family. And you, you know, you're ready to talk about it. How do you go about that? I definitely have this conversation a lot because I see individuals and then I see couples and I see how different things, anxiety, depression, addiction, whatever affects the family mm-hmm. um, and specifically affects, you know, husbands and wives together, also children and that kind of thing. But it starts before the conversation about anxiety. So for me, it's about 
already kind of establishing that daily communication with your spouse. Talking about anxiety can be tough if you've not ever communicated with them about anything else. You know, if you just randomly have a conversation with somebody, but you've not really built that rapport and relationship, there's going to be fear there that there's going to be judgment. There's going to be fear there that they're not going to know what to say or what to do. Mm-hmm. So I am a big proponent of being able to have that daily communication. And some of those communication things can just be about checking in and just seeing how people are feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, being okay to talk about feeling frustrated or feeling upset or feeling sad or mm-hmm. content or feeling hopeful or any of those feeling words. We don't typically use feeling words. So I want to throw this out there. I know that this may come a shock to some of the people listening, but good, well, and fine are not feeling words. Yeah. Gosh, that is so true. It is so true. It's hard though. I it mean, is. We, we ask everybody it's our how gut you doing? reaction. How you yep. doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing yep. good. I'm doing fine. Mm-hmm. But those are really not feeling words. So I would say if you are starting to think that maybe you're struggling with some anxiety, I would really ask you to maybe maybe pull up a list of feeling words on Google. You can type it in. What are what are some feeling words? There comes a list. And so maybe challenging you to just start the conversation with your spouse around how do you feel today? How do you feel today? And and really kind of getting that dialogue going so that when you are feeling overwhelmed, you can maybe identify maybe some things that are causing and you to feel overwhelmed. And maybe you're not the one who feels overwhelmed. Maybe you're not the one who's anxious. So what do you do for those people in your life who are, who do come to you and say that? I know we talked a little bit about that, but what are some practical ways that we partner mm-hmm. with these people? We talked about listening. Yeah. Is there anything else that we can do for those in our lives who are continually coming to us? I would definitely say the first thing is being able to validate where they are. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to come and have a conversation with you about something that they're vulnerable about mm-hmm. and for you to say, well, that seems kind of ridiculous that you're feeling that way. We definitely want to be validated. Um, sounds like you're having a really hard time today. So can you tell me more about it? Ask some clarifying questions, you know, wanting to know, why do you think you're feeling that way? And, and again, not in a, again, tone of voice, not in a demeaning way, but like, tell me a little bit more about that. Like what, what, did something else happen today that maybe caused the overwhelmingness? Uh, was there something new in the schedule? Just asking some of those clarifying questions. And then after you've done that, maybe even asking for permission, maybe you thought of something that maybe you could take off your spouse. Maybe they said, you know, I had all these things to do today and and I got really, really anxious and this was my list. And would it be okay if I, if I maybe offer a suggestion? And most of the time, if you could take something off of that person, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's most helpful if mm-hmm. they're experiencing it. And, and sometimes you can't. Maybe it's all work-related. Yeah. But maybe you can give an opportunity to maybe just be a listening ear or mm-hmm. maybe do something to distract mm-hmm. so that you don't have to focus on that. A lot of times spouses know what their significant other likes to do. Maybe they like to go for a run. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they like baking like me and um, cooking and those kinds of things. Then maybe suggesting to do something that's totally unrelated to that so that maybe it can just be a distraction. That's mm-hmm. a big part of managing your anxiety sometimes is just being able to do something different so that you can come back to the moment and not be so stuck in in thinking about what's causing the anxiety. And that's amazing when you give something space, like when you back away from it, the perspective it gives you just, I mean, you seem like a different person when you have to go back and approach it again. So I really like that advice of just doing something completely different that you would not normally do and invite them to go and do it with you. I had a friend in college, actually I had just graduated college and she was a freshman or sophomore in college and I spent a lot of time with her and she was feeling a lot of anxiety and a lot Mm -hmm. of stress. And I didn't really know, I mean, I was 
maybe 22, 23. And so I hadn't really seen it. And I just remember talking to her and being like, when I have these feelings, I'm so inward focused that it just gets bigger and bigger. So we've got to go do something for someone else. We have got to go. I think she ended up going to a nursing home and painting nails for some of the women there or something like she just, she found that that was the best way for her to cope was she had to force her focus outward onto other people so that she wasn't just drowning in her own feelings and and emotions and allowing them to get bigger and bigger. And then when she came back to it, she had different perspective. It wasn't, she no longer felt like she was drowning. Now, did it happen a lot? Yeah. I mean, that wasn't the end all be all fix for her. I remember her calling it being like, that actually worked. She was surprised. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because part of what happens too is that as an individual who struggles with anxiety, you really need to have a running list of things that you can do. Yes. And, and it needs to happen. You need to make that list before it happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to know these are the things that will help me. Yeah. These are the things that are going to, that are going to go well for me or the list needs to be, I would say at least 10 things. Mm-hmm. And and it can be anything from being outside to go for a walk to maybe even journaling mm-hmm. for a little bit. I know I gave somebody a journaling prompt this week and I said, you know, I want you, if it's starting to happen, then I want you to be able to journal about five things you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. And so just helping kind of refocus the brain. Mm-hmm. Part of it in, in, in treatment of anxiety is retraining the brain. You know, we want to be able to do those things. And in the midst of it, in the very beginning, obviously there needs to be some distraction and there needs to be a focused time for working on it. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of physical activity, thinking about physical activity. I'm thinking about personal interests. Like mm-hmm. what do you love doing? Mm-hmm. Investing in somebody else. I love that idea mm-hmm. too, to be able to just take the focus off yourself mm-hmm. and to focus on somebody else. What did no one tell you about anxiety? Oh, man, I love this. The one thing that nobody told me about anxiety is that it's manageable. Mm -hmm. It is definitely manageable. It's definitely something that is doable. It may take adjustment from time to time. And it's it's possible. It doesn't have to be forever. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. have to live with it forever. Mm-hmm. It does mean that, you know, it may come up, it may creep in mm-hmm. every now and then, but it doesn't have to be forever in the state that it's in. Mm-hmm. You know, it can fluctuate and there's some things that you can do to help it. We always end the show with this one question is, what are you so happy someone did tell you about? There can be life with anxiety. Mm-hmm. You can have it, but you can still have life. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have a to, full life. Yeah. A, a happy life. A mm-hmm. joyful life. Yeah, absolutely. You can definitely have life, even if you do have anxiety. What are you going to bake this weekend? This weekend, probably Spanish peanut candy. It's a Christmas favorite. What even is that? Okay, so I'll give you this short recipe. It's so easy. Don't tell everybody. <laughs> is oh. it a family secret? Yeah. <laughs> no. So it's one package of butterscotch chips, one package of milk chocolate chips, and then one can, small can of Spanish peanuts. What right. in the world? Do you just mix it all together? You you melt the two chips together. Yeah. Get them really, and, and you got to be careful because they'll burn. Butterscotch yeah. chips will burn. You don't have to do it in a double boiler. I mean, years ago we did that. You don't necessarily have to do it as long as you're willing to stir it really. Consistently. Consistently. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then once it's melted, you just dump those in and then you um, just, you know, put it out in little pieces of candy. Sometimes yeah. I use a little mini muffin tins and then put it in there um, and then just let it harden. And uh, then you can put it in tins and give it away as gifts. That's kind of my go-to where I just have some tins that are already made up because that candy keeps for a while. And then, um, you know, maybe I put one in my mailbox for my mailman to just say thanks. Um, I've, I've been meaning to do something for the mailman. Every year I think about it after Christmas. So it's not great, but maybe this time I'll be on my game. What's your favorite thing to make for the holidays? Um... 
favorite thing to make for the holidays. I have so many favorites, but I certainly enjoy the the cheese ball that I make. I, I, I put pineapple that. in mine. <sighs> That's the crushed weird. pineapple. Claudia. I know, I know, but I put the you crushed people pineapple and cheese and pineapple. I just someone talked about that as a Thanksgiving dish, and I can't get enough. Uh, it's so good. It's so good. I can't. I cannot with that. But <laughs> Connie, we're so thankful for you. Thank you for taking the time. I know you are super busy, so we're so thankful that you would talk a little bit about this with us today. We will have that recipe and maybe some resources as far as the feelings words. I would love to have some prompts for journaling we'll put some of that stuff in the show notes as some next steps for people so we appreciate you yeah thanks so much for having me well that's about it for today thank you guys so much for listening and hey if you liked it make sure you subscribe and leave a review does that sound desperate feels a little bit desperate asking you to do that but you know what oh well i love hearing your feedback so make sure you check out no one told me podcast.com and i'll see you next time <laughs>